It's a little cheesy, but it's clever. Uh, When you're here, your family was Olive Garden's slogan for 14 years. And they got rid of it in 2012 because evidently they decided that somehow Go Olive Garden was better. (laughs) But they got rid of it. And it was actually such a good slogan that Jimmy Fallon decided that he wanted it as the official slogan of The Tonight Show. And he got in touch with the president of Olive Garden. And uh, he actually, you can YouTube it and see it. He came on the show and actually signed over the rights to the slogan, When You're Here, Your Family, to The Tonight Show. But if you, if you think about what's at the heart of that slogan... If you think about what's really what they're trying to communicate when they say when you're here, your family, I think it's something that's very attractive to people. Right? It's the idea that when you come here, you're not just going to be just a customer to us. We're actually going to treat you differently from the world, the way the rest of the folks treat you. We're going to actually treat you like you matter to us. We're going to make sure that you're comfortable. We're going to make sure that you feel welcome here. And as strange as it might sound, I think that's actually the same idea. I think that's the main theme of this letter that Paul writes. He's writing to this guy named Philemon, and I think it's fair to say that basically what he's saying is, look, when you're here in the family of God, or the the people of God, you're family. The basic idea that believers, that fellow Christians, are called, we're called to treat one another as family, regardless of our circumstances. We could say it this way, that the, the fundamental principle of how Christians should relate to one another is brotherly love. And so if you're here and you're a believer, uh, then that's what we're called to, and we're going to explore that this morning. And if you're here and you're not a believer, the first thing I want you to know is that we're really glad that you're here. We hope you feel welcome. And as you listen to this, I I just want you to think about, uh, is this something that might be attractive to you, to be a part of a community where you're treated like family regardless of the circumstances? And so we're going to look at this letter along three lines. First thing that we're going to see is the situation. Second point is going to be the request that's made. And thirdly and finally, we'll look at the motivation behind it. So the situation, the request, and the motivation. So first off, the situation. All right, again, this is, a, this is very simply a letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to a guy named Philemon. Paul's sitting in prison because of his preaching the gospel. Uh, he's in prison in Rome, And Philemon, the recipient of this letter, is hundreds of miles away in a town called Colossae. And Philemon had a slave named Onesimus. And Onesimus was not a Christian at the time. And he decided to run away from Philemon. And he almost certainly stole from Philemon to be able to finance his trip all the way to Rome. And so somehow he ends up in Rome, and he meets Paul. And so we're not sure if he targeted Paul, sought him out, because Paul and his uh, owner, Philemon, are friends, or if it was just God's providence that he came across him. But he meets Paul, 
And as you can imagine, he ends up getting converted. Onesimus, this runaway slave, becomes a Christian. But the problem is that Onesimus, this new new Christian who's a runaway slave, he owes Philemon. He owes Philemon something because he ran away. He probably, like we said, stole money from him. Uh, He skipped out on work. And quite frankly, and we're going to talk about this in, in, in a little bit, he's his property in a very real sense. And so there's there's a problem. There's conflict there. And so Paul basically just sends Philemon back. Sends Onesimus back, rather. And now keep in mind that this is to run away as a slave was punishable by death. And so Paul says, you know what we're going to do? You're going to go back to the guy that you left. Right? Think about that scene. Think about showing up and saying, all right, so I've come back. I know that you are very well within your right to end my life for what I've done, but I'm coming back. And so to help with that difficult situation, Paul sends this letter. And I think even just from the situation, I think even that, even that is instructive to us as Christians. That what we see going on here is that Paul, Paul doesn't take the path of least resistance. There's this, there's this conflict, there's a, a wrong there. And he could have just said, he even says so in the letter, I could just keep him and not have him come back and make things right and go through all that, it's going to be hard. I could just keep him and we could just kind of rock along and he'd be really useful to me, but I'm not going to do that. Because, because Onesimus is your brother now. And, and things need to be made right between you. And so here he is, he's coming back. In other words, Paul is not going to sweep things under the rug and I think it's fair to say that as Christians, we can't simply, when there's conflict in relationships between brothers and sisters in Christ, we can't simply sweep things under the rug. And it's probably uh, somewhat embarrassing how long I sat as I was working on the sermon and was thinking about the concept of sweeping things under the rug and trying to come up with a good illustration for it until I realized that sweeping things under the rug is the illustration for it. So let's go with that one. Why, do you, why is it a bad idea if you're sweeping your floor to just lift up your rug and you make a pile of dirt and just sweep it under there? Right? The, it's obvious. Because the problem hasn't really gone away. It's still there. You've just covered it over. But it's going to come up again one day. It's like when you tell... Uh, When you tell little kids to clean their room and they shove everything in the closet or under the bed, it looks a little better, but the problem's still there and it's going to come out. And that's what Paul is showing us here, that when there is conflict, we have to make it right with one another. We can't sweep things under the rug. So what does that mean for me and you? Well, it might be fairly obvious, but it means that if you're a believer, that you that we just can't write off other Christians because we get crossways with them. That we, we're called to not take the path of least resistance. 
that if, you're, if, your roommate, if you and your roommate don't get along and you're both believers, it'd be really easy just to, you know, there's another month left in the semester, so we're just going to ride it out and we can just kind of, you know, stay to our own sides and I'll get a different roommate. Take the path of least resistance. That when your husband or wife or your boyfriend or girlfriend or whoever it is, when they wrong you in some way, it very well might be easy just to, just to take that little area of life and sort of lop it off and say, all right, we're just not going to, I'm not going to address that. It's easier to let it go. Uh, it might look like thinking, if you get sideways with another family or another, uh, somebody in the church, it might be really tempting to think, well, you know, we could just go to the first service. Because we, you know, we love Redeemer, we don't want to, but it's just too weird, and so we'll just, we'll go to the first service, and we won't have to run in, into each other except on days like this, and there's the lifting up of the rug. And so what this means for us is that it means that we need to move towards one another, when there's conflict. That we actually need to be proactive in eliminating those things. Matthew 5, 23-24 says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Right? That's exactly what we're saying. We can't take the path of least resistance. So that's the situation that we see. Second thing I want you to look at is the, uh, the request that Paul makes. The request. So what exactly is it that Paul's asking? Uh, basically, Paul sends this guy back to the owner, and he says, here's what you need to know. Onesimus has become a Christian, and I want you to take him back, and I want you to treat him like a brother. Notice he doesn't say, I want you to not kill him, please. I want you to not take it out on him. He says, I want you to treat him like a brother. Verse 15 and 16, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. Paul says earlier in verse 10 that Onesimus is his child in the faith, meaning that he's the one that God converted him through him. And that Philemon and Onesimus are now brothers. That, that he's now your family, and you should treat him that way. Right? When you're here, you're family. I thought about it a little bit like if you have young kids in your household, uh, no doubt you've said this more times than you can count. Uh, we certainly have. You say things like, look, you should not hit anybody but especially your brother. We don't hit people, but we especially don't hit our brother. Right? There's, something, there's something unique about that relationship that to, uh, to offend that, it, it takes on a different, it seems to take it to a different level. So again, that's not to say that it would have been fine for uh, Philemon to kill Onesimus if he hadn't been a Christian, not at all. Paul, no doubt, would have called him to treat Onesimus with the utmost dignity, even if he wasn't a Christian. 
but he's saying, especially since he's your brother. And so I want you to, I want to zero in and think about Philemon's perspective on all this. Because here's something you need to know, that we need to talk about slavery in this context. Because you very well might be thinking about it in terms of, uh, you know, American slavery, 1700s, 1800s, and that would be totally understandable. But I don't think that's a, a good uh, parallel. Slavery in this context seemed to be quite different. It was more the idea of an indentured servant. That it was a voluntary agreement where you would agree to work and they would agree to provide for you and both had to keep the terms. And, you know, of course, there were abuses to the system. There were bad situations. But I say all of that to make this point. It might be easy to hear this and think, slave owner, bad guy. But Philemon is not a bad guy. I mean, yes, he's a sinner, of course, but he actually seems to be a really good guy. In other words, he didn't do anything wrong in this scenario. He did everything right. He very well, by all indications, was taking good, good care of his, those that worked for him. So he, there he is, not doing anything wrong, doing, generally speaking, everything right, and then Onesimus up and leaves. And he leaves him shorthanded. He, le- he uh, s- steals from him. So he's the one that did everything right. And now Paul's looking at him and saying, you need to treat him like a brother. In fact, you need to treat him like he's me. We're going to talk about that in a minute. In other words, it's going to cost Philemon a lot. And he didn't do anything wrong. To treat him like a brother is going to cost In verse 18, uh, Paul says, Whatever he owes you, charge that to me. And then Paul reminds him of, of what he owes Paul, right? If he owes you anything, put that on my tab. By the way, what's on my tab? Oh, yeah. Basically, I saved your life. It's going to cost him. And Paul says, look, I could command you to do this, but I, I want you to want to do it. He didn't do anything wrong, and now it's going to cost him. Uh, a few years ago, when we needed to become a minivan family, which is, look, I don't, some, you know, a lot of folks don't like that day, and they dread it. And I, minivans are awesome. <laughs> See a few thumbs up? I like that. So when we decided to become a minivan family, what, four or five years ago, uh, I was buying our minivan from this, uh, basically from a Christian dealership that specializes in getting uh, cars at a good price. The the idea is they're going to get you a good car at a good price, and they particularly help out ministers, sort of their uh, service to ministers. And so I decided to go through these guys, and it, it ended up going badly. I'm going to spare you a really long story. But basically, we get uh, the, the first van, and when we get it, it's just got a lot of problems. It has some serious problems, uh, but we've already paid the taxes on it, and I don't even remember all the details. But basically, I had to hang on to it until they found me a replacement. And now, these guys are not just uh, some sort of... They aren't just some Christians. They're actually... 
Uh, we had some mutual friends, and so I know that these guys really are, by all accounts, true believers. So keep that in mind. And so this goes on for five months. Five months of calls and emails of, have you found, have, have you found what's going to make this right yet? And a lot of you don't know me, but that doesn't sit real well with me. And so right at the time where I was getting to the point where I'm composing emails in my mind that end with phrases like, and I will own your dealership if you don't. (laughs) And everybody's laughing probably, but Amy and maybe Olivia that know like, he's not kidding. (laughs) That when we're getting to that point, I was studying, I think it was in the spring, I was studying through Colossians with our group, uh, RUF group. And almost every commentary that you buy uh, that has, uh, about Colossians almost always has Philemon stuck on the end because they were, uh, letters were most likely delivered together at the same time, same place. And so I start studying on Philemon. And there, you know, I'm taking notes about uh, all the things that we're talking about. And so I have all this boiling inside me, and I'm jotting down notes about, like, love like a brother and those sorts of things. And, and then I get to the point of, like, even, you know, when you're, you didn't do anything wrong and making applications for my students, and then it dawns on me. It dawns on me that that is exactly what's going on in my own life. And it was, it was like a knife Because everything inside me wants to say, I have done nothing wrong, and you will pay. And it showed me that my heart was very wrong in it all. Because these guys are believers. And when you're here, you're family. All right, so what do we... What about when it hits closer to home, right? Buying a car is one thing. Because I didn't really know those guys. But what about when it gets closer to home. How do we think about that? And look, let's just as a disclaimer say that, look, wisdom has to be used, right? Justice is still valuable. Uh, It doesn't mean that if you get wronged in any way that uh, you always, um, you always lay down your rights and have to let it go. There's wisdom that's needed. But, but what about when that friend says something about you behind your back that you weren't supposed to hear, but you did? Right? It means that you and I, that what we want to do is either write them off at best, cold shoulder at best, but usually what we want to do, because we didn't do anything wrong, they owe us. And we want to make them pay. And we can exact that payment by talking about them behind their back or by uh, you know, any number of ways. But we want them to pay. But what, what it looks like if we, if we embrace this, right, what forgiveness really is, is it means that we pay. The debt's been created, and it looks like us swallowing that debt. That we look at them and we say, I'm going to treat you as if this didn't happen. And I'm going to swallow all that I want to take back from you. We're not going to treat them like they owe us. 
And that's why I think that's why we have to move towards one another in relationship. That we can't sweep it under the rug because those things fester. Right? If somebody owes us a little bit and it just sits there, that, uh, the interest accrues. It tends to. And God calls us to move towards people and to forgive, which means it's going to cost us. Because when you're here, you're family. All right, so thirdly and finally, I want, uh, we need to look at the motivation behind that. Because so far, this is just good advice, right? This is a good plan. And you, we probably all knew that coming in, right? Hey, when people do wrong to you, you know, we should do, forgive them. Let's pray. That'd be a terrible sermon. <laughs> so how do you do that, though? What is it that would motivate that? Because you might even be thinking, look, I would love to want to move towards people, but I just don't. I would rather them pay. So what is it that motivates us to think like that? And actually, we've already mentioned it. And Paul weaves it brilliantly through this letter. He points Philemon to the gospel. And in some ways, he does it very subtly. And I think we could say that it, it centers around this idea of identification. That Paul identifies himself with Onesimus. Right? He tells Philemon, I'm sending Onesimus back to you, and I want you to treat him not even just like a brother. I want you to treat him like he's me. And he says, treat me like I'm Onesimus. Whatever, like we said, whatever Onesimus owes you, credit that to my account, and I'll pay it. Put it on my tab. And it seems to be that he was very serious about that, which is why he says, I'm writing this with my own hand. This is a contract. Paul's saying, I want you to treat him like you would treat me. And I want you to treat me like I'm him. Right, like we mentioned, what else is on Paul's tab? Nothing. In fact, credit. That's what's on Paul's tab. And so what does he tell him? What is the gospel that he's pointing to? Uh, Paul very well, when he told Philemon originally the gospel, he very well might have told him about his own experience of meeting Jesus for the first time. Right, we read about it in Acts. Uh, when, he, when, he meets, when Paul meets Jesus for the first time, I think even, right there even he gets the very heart of the gospel, uh, what's going to become his, his theology of being in Christ. Because what he sees is he sees that Jesus identifies with his people. Do you remember what he says to him? He shows up in this blinding flash of light and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not why are you persecuting my people or my church or my children. Why are you hounding me? And right, Paul says, who, who are you? Obviously, I'm not persecuting you. But the point is, Jesus is making the point that I am so identified with my people. I tie myself so closely to my people that what you do to them, you do to me. That identification really is at the heart of the gospel. That Jesus came, even though right, the Bible talks about how we were slaves to sin. And that Jesus came, even though he didn't do anything wrong. 
And he said, essentially said, treat me like I'm a slave so that my people can go free. And that's what Philemon sees. And that's what we get to see. That the good news of the gospel is that we are slaves to our sin. And we deserve death. But Jesus comes and he says, I'm going to give you my righteousness. God is going to treat you like you're me. And on the cross, he's going to treat me like I'm you. Even though, right, you get the parallel. Jesus didn't do anything wrong. In fact, he did everything right and it cost him a ton. And that's what he's pointing Philemon to. Remember how you were loved. This is the first time in my, uh, in my career that I've, that I've actually had to, uh, wanted to give an illustration about my kids, and then now they're old enough, I had to ask their permission, which I did, and they granted. So several years ago, we were, a couple years ago, we were, uh, in, look, I sort of hate to use this because of the way it might sound, but we were reading the Bible before bedtime, because we do that every night, and we're super holy. <laughs> I hope you know that that's not the point of this illustration, but... So one of them asked about um, something about Jesus taking the punishment for us. And so I was trying to explain that uh, to, our, uh, to our kids. And I said, all right, hey, look, so here's what you need to know for this story. If you don't know us, we have, we have three kids. Uh, we have Miles, we have Davis, and we have Lucy. Okay? Those are the players in the story. And so I was telling them, I said, all right, look, let's, let's pretend. Let's pretend this happens. Let's pretend that Davis hit Lucy and knocked her down. That's bad. And Miles, the oldest, goes over and very sweetly helped Lucy up and was, was very kind to her. And so I entered the situation. I say, well, Davis, you're going to get a spanking for this because that was wrong. But Miles loves his brother Davis, and he says, I, I don't want Davis to get the spanking. I... I want to I take his place. And I said, oh, oh, you can imagine if I said, okay, well, that's fine. We can do that. And so I give Miles the spanking. And then I look at Davis. And I say, Davis, I want you to know I'm really proud of you for how well you loved your sister and how kind you were to her. And I barely got those words out of my mouth when one of them, and, you know, make your own guesses, one of them blurts out, that's not fair. <laughs> he shouldn't get that. And you could, just, you could just see the shock on his face. That's not right. And I said, well, you know, it, in some sense, it's not fair. And... That's what Paul is, is getting Philemon. That's what he wants Philemon and us to feel. He wants us to remember or feel, maybe for the first time, the just shock of it. The shock. The shock of Jesus, even though he didn't deserve death, taking it on himself because he loves us. And the shock of us getting credited with being perfect, 
with doing all the right things, though we don't deserve it. Even though we don't deserve life, we get it. And it's like he's trying to get Philemon to see. Look, I know your heart in those situations wants to cry out, that's not fair. I didn't do anything wrong. And it's like he's saying, you're right. But isn't it awesome that sometimes people don't get what they deserve? And isn't it awesome that sometimes people get things that they don't deserve? That's the good news of the gospel. And it's only that truth that will truly motivate our hearts to begin to look at other people Just begin to look at other people and say, I'm not going to make you pay. Because I had a huge debt and it got paid for. That's the only thing that will motivate that. It's the only thing that will motivate us to to really uh, feel and believe and act that that when you're here, you're, you're family. And treat one another that way. That's the good news. That's what's, that's an invitation to you to take it. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that your word would dwell richly in us, that it would implant in our hearts, maybe for the first time. We pray that your word would dwell in us richly again and again, that we would hear it afresh, that we would know that you love us with an unshakable, undying love, and that you would empower us to show that love to one another, to the whole world, and certainly, especially to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Father, we pray this and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.